0: It's about empowering the people that are using the system. As long as all your um, team members are using the CRM effectively, then you'll see a a great return on your investment. If people are resistant, they're more comfortable using other tools, then you might either have to train them more or provide alternatives. Find a person that can serve as an administrator to help uh, digest and, and translate what they're doing into a CRM. The idea is that you want that central source of truth because the more you put into it, again, the more you'll get out of it.
1: My guest today on Mission Impact is Alexander Lapa. Alex and I talk about the nitty gritty of choosing the right customer relationship management system or CRM tool for your organization. CRMs have actually come up many times on the podcast, whether because it's something you need to ensure to have a way to track all the people you interact with, especially around fundraising and operations and keep those functional. And they've also come up in examples of challenges in change management. They're not necessarily super sexy, but they are one of those tools that help keep an organization running. Really getting the most out of your CRM is not just about buying it and launching it. Picking the appropriate tool for your organization's stage of growth and then getting it set up well so that it really meets your needs isn't necessarily something to just assign to a staff person. Investing in some expertise at the front end can save a lot of headaches down the road. I appreciated Alex's description of the typical journey that organizations go go through from paper records to spreadsheets to then a basic CRM and then possibly on to a more sophisticated system like Salesforce. And assessing what you really need and then what you might need in the not too distant future is part of making the decisions about what CRM tool will really be best for you. Mission Impact is a podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategy consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers. And all of this, for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector brings you whole brain strategy and consulting for nonprofits and associations. We help you move your mission forward, engage all voices and have some fun while we're doing it. We combine left brain strategy and analysis with right brain wisdom about human complexities for a proven whole-brain, whole-organization process through which every stakeholder thrives. Reach out to us for support and facilitation of strategic planning, mapping your impact, auditing your services, and getting an organizational assessment. We especially love working with staffed, nonprofits, and associations with human-centered missions. Welcome, Alex. Welcome to Mission Impact.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: So I'd like to start each uh, conversation with just finding out a little bit more about what drew you to the work that you do. What would you describe as your, your why or your motivation? Yeah,
0: great question. Um, I've been doing Salesforce, because I'm a Salesforce architect, working not exclusively, but definitely specialized with nonprofits. And I started, when I started working with Salesforce, at the same time that I had some for-profit clients, I also had a nonprofit client. This was about 10 years ago now. And I just found over the years that my, my favorite moments, the ones that I look forward to, the meetings I look forward to, the projects I enjoyed working on most, were the ones related to nonprofits. And I think it has something to do with the fact that nonprofits, the focus of nonprofits, are not a profits. It's not about profit. It's not about how much money you can make. How wealthy can we make the shareholders? It's how big of an impact we can make. Uh, how can we help our community? And that really drew me in. The people were, you know, less about their egos, more about they. they impact or the type of impact that it can have. And it just felt like that was my tribe and I've been doing it now for quite a while. Uh, I would say maybe three years now, I've been specialized with nonprofits and it's a labor of love.
1: Yeah. I, I, whatever the, the mission, um, when I'm working with organizations, I just always appreciate the people who are drawn to this work. So it definitely makes a huge difference. We promote each other. We
0: support each other. It, 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 it definitely feels much more of a community uh, than any other for-profit. I mean, I've worked with some great for-profit companies as well. I can't knock all of them, but it's a different mindset altogether. And, and the reward, I mean, I want to feel like I've accomplished something in, in, at some point in, during the day. I want to feel like I've contributed in some small way. And uh, you know, using my knowledge to help uh, leverage and, and improve nonprofits seems to be working for me, at least at the moment.
1: So, you said that you're a Salesforce architect. So, what can you say a little bit more about what that means and um, what, what being an architect in that sense uh, kind of entails? Certainly. So, Salesforce is a, a
0: company and it's a platform. It's actually more than just a CRM these days, a client relationship management tool. It's a platform, which basically means it gives you all the tools that you need to do all your CRM activities but it's also very extensible. You can add your own functionality on top of the platform. And it is pretty much the top of the food chain in terms of complexity for CRMs, especially for the nonprofit industry, but basically any industry. I I tend to see nonprofits, to focus more on them, moving up the food chain from maybe uh, pen and paper to Excel to maybe a basic CRM to maybe a more advanced CRM to Salesforce. They work their way generally up that kind of ladder it, I don't see too many nonprofits moving away from Salesforce. And because it has all those features and functionalities and great things. Um, but because it has all this stuff, there's a lot of complexity to it. So having an advisor or an architect that comes in and tells you, look, this is what you should do. Here's how you should set up your programs, your services, your volunteering, your cases, and so forth, as opposed to having someone who might be a bit technical but doesn't know the Salesforce platform itself kind of mucking around and, and building this spaghetti of mess because it is very possible to do so and then have to have someone like me come in and rescue them from that situation. So having an architect, having a consultant come in and help you from the early phases uh, will really pay you dividends toward the end uh, and make sure that you're, you're leveraging your entire investment from Salesforce. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I'm laughing because I worked for an organization that used Salesforce, but I think we probably used like this much oh. of the co- the capacity of it because we, we spent a lot of time trying to get a, a particular staff person trained in it, but there was such a learning curve that um, it, you know, to really maximize its uh, capacity, um, it, it, you know, it, it didn't translate to the rest of us really being able to to really leverage it, and it's funny that I feel like over the um, period that I've been doing this podcast, oftentimes when we're talking about change management or you know technology implementation, oftentimes the the example that people end up using is around a CRM or you know helping people move from that you know Excel many Excel spreadsheets that everybody has their own, and we don't have it up to date or common to some f- type of um, client management system. What are some of the, um, the uh, benefits that you see of an organization actually taking the time to really make sure that, that uh, a system like that is working for them? Just to go back to the previous point for a second, we actually have a term in the Salesforce
0: ecosystem, we call them accidental admins, because the term that we use for for Salesforce administrators are the ones building the platform, and if you are just kind of thrown into that role, you become an accidental admin, so uh, there's definitely a story that we could dive into for that, but to answer the question that you asked, there is like I said, Salesforce is really the top of the food chain in, in my perspective. There are some smaller nonprofits that I've seen use Salesforce and there's some great benefits that they can get out of it. But the key element is just using a CRM altogether. Uh, I would never recommend using pen and paper, even if you were to start, like just go to Excel as your entry starting point. And when you're a small nonprofit, if you're just starting off, that's a very viable CRM. You don't need anything fancy, any bells and whistles. As long as you're tracking things and you're not losing not losing track of things, you're managing your donors, you're managing your constituents, your volunteers, whatever your organization is doing, that's great. Um, the fact that it's digital gives you a leg up because when the time comes as you're growing as a nonprofit and when the time comes where you've outgrown the capacity of an Excel program, for example, it's much easier to shift that or import that into a CRM of sorts as opposed to pen and paper, which then, you know, it's, it's harder to, <laughs> to import. Uh, so the idea is, is is starting using a CRM And picking a CRM that fits your needs at this point in time uh, with a certain amount of understanding that there's going to be potentially growth in your future. And we all want growth, of course. So, you know, some CRMs, for example, not talking about Salesforce, but some Salesforce, um, some CRMs offer tiered programs where you, you start off maybe with a free Model of the platform gives you basic functionality, but they do have like a more advanced and a more enterprise level version that as your organization grows, you can grow into that to give you more capability, more functionality.
1: What are some of the signs that uh, it's time for an organization to kind of move to that next step? Uh, it, it's basically, it doesn't work for you anymore. Either things get lost along the
0: way, you're not able to keep track of donors anymore, you're not able to, to do your day-to-day operations. There, there's a limiting factor. Like Excel, for example, it's great for if you're one person, but the minute you become two or three, now you have versions that you're passing around. Maybe you're using SharePoint as a common area, but you'll you'll naturally feel that there's a, a breaking point, that you just can't scale as your organization grows. You you can't have 10, 20 people working in an Excel file, it just doesn't work. So making sure that, um, well, reading the signs, basically saying that we're not, we're not able to grow, we're not able to scale, uh, it, it doesn't support all the users that we need to have uh, as part of our organization. These would all be signs to say, maybe it's worth now investigating the next level up in terms of a CRM.
1: And once an organization has a CRM, you know, I've seen instances where, you know, pretty large organization, they have, um, you know, a a pretty robust system, and yet staff are still kind of defaulting back to those Excel spreadsheets by, you know, they export some data and then they're keeping that up to date, you know, versus always getting it back in the system. What are some ways that you help organizations actually help? get people to really use what the system can 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 do for them. It's actually a very common phenomenon,
0: and it's basically a matter of control and comfort. If a, a user, if a person doesn't feel comfortable using the system, they won't. They, they know that a lot of people are much more comfortable with Excel than any other platform or any, any other program, so that they know that they can rely on it. It's ma- usually a matter of training and of change management, of, of being able to feel supported, to feel like they can be empowered to use the CRM, and then they will use it. Especially if they see that the more they put into it, the more they get out of it. The whole idea of using a CRM is every moment you spend putting in data to the CRM, you will get much more out of it. It's an ROI, return on your investment. So it's it's making sure that people feel supported, that they have the necessary training as they're onboarded, and, and keeping them going making sure they can provide feedback in case there's ever a situation that they do have, whether it's a positive or a negative f- type of feedback, and just supporting them as they go saying, you know, don't worry, there is a benefit to using a CRM. In the Salesforce ecosystem, for example, we have this motto, if it's not in Salesforce, it doesn't exist. And the idea is that by having it in a centralized system like a CRM, everyone can benefit from it. So you can see potentially all the interactions you've had with a particular person outside You know, all the times you've made phone calls, every time you've done an outreach, an email, anytime they've done a a donation or volunteered or applied for a program or service, so that when a new person comes to your organization, they can see that holistic view of that person and have better conversations, have more personalized conversations.
1: And... I think for me, what was a stumbling block uh, sometimes was that I wasn't using the system very often, and so I'd kind of forget how to mm-hmm. how to navigate. And um, but what you're talking about of really everybody logging all those interactions, all those conversations means that right a new person then has that history. But then also for organizations that are across different you know uh, multiple departments. Um, they have a sense of what's what you know. What's been the most recent communication with that person versus you know the volunteer person re- out, re- out, reaching out and then the donor person reaching out the next day and kind of clashing and overwhelming folks uh, because they're not coordinated.
0: And imagine a situation where a person does not want to be contacted and there's mm. no central point that says you know do not contact, and then that person keeps on getting contacted, gets frustrated. Every time they get a call or an email, it's like, listen, I don't want to be contacted. Thank you, but no thank you. Uh, you don't want to have that kind of um, disturbance, let's call it. And, and having that central point, that source of truth is really, really important. And that's what a CRM can provide.
1: So you talk a lot about really leveraging those systems. What are some ways that you see organizations really getting the, the, the most out of that investment?
0: It's about empowering the people that are using the system. Again, it, it, as long as I'm, all your um, team members are using the CRM effectively, efficiently, then you'll see a, a great return on your investment. If people are resistant, if there's, they don't want to use it, they're more comfortable using other tools, then you might either have to train them more and, and empower them more or provide alternatives. Find maybe a person that can serve as an administrator to help uh, digest and, and translate what they're doing into Salesforce. Or into a CRM. Sorry if I use Salesforce. I'm just so used to using that <laughs> word for CRM, but it doesn't matter if it's you know what CRM it is. The idea is that you want that central source of truth because the more you put into it, again, the more you'll get out of it. Um, yeah.
1: What are some of the things that organizations need to think through when they're choosing which systems going to work for them? Yeah, it's a great question as well. So I mentioned the, the
0: growth part. I think knowing that as you're getting into, or as you're choosing your CRM, knowing that, that the CRM has various tiers that you can grow with, uh, just so you don't want to change CRMs you know, on, on a yearly basis because of the change management that's involved. So starting off with, uh, well, starting off first of all, wh- what are your business requirements? What do you hope to achieve with the CRM? How many users are going to be using it? Uh, you know, What is your budget? Um, there are h- hundreds, maybe thousands of CRMs now a lot of which are, or at least a good portion of which are related to nonprofits, focused on nonprofits. I mean, there are some fantastic ones. If you're only doing fundraising, for example, there are some fantastic nonprofit fundraising CRMs that do that job really, really well, but it could be very, very narrow in terms of their scope. So making sure you know that maybe today you're doing fundraising, but you know in a few months from now you might be doing volunteering, making sure that CRM that you choose or will plan to choose can do both is important. And then doing some kind of because there are so many to choose from, the next question is, well, how do I choose? Um, Ask for recommendations, make sure, you again, you have the requirements, and then try to shortlist it down to, let's say, three CRMs. And then have the vendor of those CRMs do a presentation to your organization. Do this proper assessment where you have various individuals at your organization evaluating whether this works for you on multiple criteria. Uh, I've seen a, a large organization do that not so long ago when they were choosing their CRM. And Uh, it was a wonderful exercise to validate and to prove to the organization that this was the right CRM for their needs. Um, Yeah, I would
1: think that one of the steps would be kind of thinking through who are all the people that um, either are going to be using it in terms of kind of internally, but then also all the different kind of categories of groups that you're working with, whether it's donors or volunteers. And sometimes, you know, oftentimes um, a volunteer will become a donor, so they could right. be in multiple categories. Um, the people that you're serving, uh, people who are coming to programs and um, constituents, all of those different aspects. And so it, it can get pretty complex on what are all those interactions. It can, and, and that's why there's a certain look
0: ahead that you need to do. How far is your runway? If you get into this CRM today, how long do you think it could last? And if it's longer or less than a year, then it's probably not a good fit. If it's something you think you can grow and scale with for a good measure of time, it's probably a better fit.
1: What are some of the challenges that organizations, we've talked about some of the challenges in terms of kind of, I think the, the, one, of the, one of the ones that can be the hardest is just getting people to use it. Um, yeah. What are some other things that come up as, as organizations try to really make the most of the CRM that they're using? Uh, Usually CRMs are not
0: in a silo. That is to say, they need to connect with other systems, if if, if only your email system. So making sure that, for example, it connects to your Gmail or your Outlook, just to have that communication so you don't have to copy and paste emails from your email system to CRM. Uh, Maybe you can send emails from your Outlook or Gmail, and that'll be captured in your CRM. So all that kind of integration would be really important, Uh, not just emails, but contacts, calendar events, and so forth. Uh, Mobile support would be a consideration as well. Some CRMs offer a mobile, not necessarily for donors, but a good thing for volunteers to make sure you can have volunteers checking in, checking out, um, offering their availability and so forth. Uh, Sometimes SMS support could be really cool as a feature. Again, more for alerts and stuff like that. And then, of course, the cool kid on the block these days is about AI and and whether the uh, CRM has any kind of AI capabilities to help leverage your team even further.
1: So in terms of AI, what are some of the ways that, that, that gets integrated into, I haven't, I haven't necessarily, I don't, well, maybe I have seen it and I didn't even know it was happening, but um, I don't feel like I've necessarily seen that aspect. Uh, but obviously it's, it's all, it's all the conversation right now. So it is. how are you yeah. seeing it show up? Um, it's showing up everywhere. People are
0: still trying to figure out how to make it work for them. Uh, and there is a bit of exploratory phase um, for nonprofits, I would generally say it's good to be curious. It's good to keep a, a, abreast of what's happening in the AI market. Uh, there are certain, certainly, like the chat GPT, of course, is, tends to be the most popular one, uh, ways that you can leverage it to write your grants, for example, or write first drafts of things. And I would recommend for sure using it like that so you are comfortable using AI. But more than that, I think it's still too premature because we're still overall as an industry trying to figure out where it fits and how it fits and how well it fits. Uh, But the more you can use those kinds of the the chat GPTs of the world to be able to write, let's say, first drafts of certain things or give you ideas, uh, that can be very useful because sometimes your ideas are just, you know, new ways you could prompt, for example, to say, you know, find me or give me some common ways to reach out to people who have lapsed in donations. And that could give you a whole bunch of ideas. So you don't have to think about it all yourself. It's a starting point. Um, So those are common ways that I see AI working for nonprofits.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I appreciate that it's thinking about it as your kind of first draft, um, right. so you can shift from that blank piece of paper or blank screen to, okay, at least I've got something to work with. Um, how are CRM uh, providers integrating that into their systems? How are you seeing for, that?
0: Yeah, I can't speak for all CRMs, of course. I know sure. that they're trying to throw it in there as much as possible. I know Salesforce is doing that. They've had a, a version of an AI for a long time, which they called Einstein. And they're trying to integrate uh, some of these AI more and more now into writing uh, sales emails, for example, or analyzing data, um, especially if you have a lot of data. You know, prompting the AI to, to you know provide, for example, the list of top ten possible uh, donors uh, or, um, or donors who or people who could be potential donors. These are all different ways of not having to leave your Salesforce instance and use your Salesforce data in order to be able to analyze it and get data from it. The AI, though, version, that's the one that everyone's talking about in terms of Einstein AI, is still in a closed beta at the moment, which means only a select number of clients are able to use it in that Salesforce ecosystem. But there's still the capability of of not using your own data in your CRM and talking to an AI to help you get that through that writer's block.
1: Right, I th- yeah, as a as a way to to get yourself out of writer's book, I appreciate that. that's a good that's a good point. What are some other things that help um, as a organization w- is wanting to make that shift?'ve they've, they've gone through that requirements process. they've made a decision about which one they're moving forward with. What helps that project mo- uh, go smoothly in terms of implementation?
0: I'm hiring a consultant or an architect. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, the idea is that I, I tend to find a lot of nonprofits don't have a lot of technical knowledge. So having someone—it depends, of course, on the complexity of the CRM—but having someone guide them through that process, handhold them through the process, someone who's been through that process multiple times and is now almost like cookie cutter—they know that the, your—they they can—they can, they talk your talk, they know your language, they know your market, they know the CRM, they know what problems you tend to generally have and what pitfalls to avoid it'll make the whole process significantly easier. Uh, And that would be um, for sure. I mean, that is a huge benefit and and fantastic return on your investment. In addition to that, I would add, um, making sure the training and documentation is very strong. Again, I mentioned earlier, when your people when you're, are empowered to use the CRM, the more they are likely to use it. And if they don't remember what to do, to your point earlier, having some kind of documentation to go back to or training videos that they can reference will help, again, uh, raise their knowledge once more. Uh, we also know that a big part of, or a big problem for nonprofits is churn as employees come and go. So having this kind of training material and documentation it will help new people onboard more quickly so that they can get up and running more quickly
1: yeah i was involved in a big crm project uh, when i was inside an organization it's now m- m- multiple years ago but i felt like the the big piece that was kind of an afterthought was that training and documentation and a lot of work got done ultimately to do that but it never then was actually effectively shared with people so that you know so that it was not just it ended up being kind of a resource that got stuck on a shelf or a, a, you know lost in a computer file that did, people didn't know about. So, and yeah, I think it's it's it's, it's, it's uh, having it doing it, but also making sure everybody knows how to access it too, and making sure it stays up to date because if it gets outdated right. and it goes
0: stale, then then there's no point having it. Uh, you have to remember a CRM like everything else is just a tool, right? It's like a hammer. It's a very, very powerful hammer, but it's still nevertheless a hammer. You, you can't use the hammer for anything in your renovation, in your, you know, your, in your work. But if you use it properly, uh, it will be very good. And it's also about using it properly. So making sure you use it when you're supposed to use it and how to use it as opposed to just trying to use it for everything. Like, you know the, the expression, once I have a hammer, everything becomes a nail using it properly and making sure you know how to use it properly, the training, the processes around it uh, is is half the equation. Technology tends to work itself out. Usually um, that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is the change management, the adoption. And so having all this in place really, really will help with that.
1: Have you, so you mentioned, um, you know, it not being, it's a it's a tool, it's for a specific purpose. Um, what are ways that you've seen people where they've actually tried to have it do more than it should be doing?
0: Yeah, I can only give you examples for Salesforce because Salesforce, like I said, is more than just a CRM. You can use it as a order management tool. You can use it as a lead management tool. You can do uh, emailing with it. But like everything else, there are limits to what it can do. Uh, you can sometimes get past those limits by adding packages or add-ons to it, um, but you can make it into a monster. It's like a, a Lego block. <laughs> Imagine a, a Lego system where you have infinite number of pieces. You can build some awesome things, but you can build a, a complete, utter mess. So uh, no, you know not what you should do, what you shouldn't do. Um, there's a general rule, 80% to 20% type stuff, where you want to do what you you wanna make sure that you are covering your needs without going too custom, without going too personal. Uh, in Salesforce, you can do, use a code called Apex to really, really customize the platform. But the more you do that, the more you have to maintain it, uh, it becomes less scalable, or it has a tendency of becoming less scalable, less modular. So you know, like with great p- power, it comes with great responsibility. You wanna make sure that as you're using it, you're using it within its con- proper confines And you're not just trying to stretch that balloon to a point where it will just eventually break.
1: Yeah, that's definitely another thing that I've seen. Um, And probably, you know, 10, 15 years ago where these systems weren't quite as powerful as they are today. And so um, organizations were really investing in doing a lot of that customization. But then, you know, when a new update rolled around, all of that gets lost. And so um, the... In a way, the less you do of that, uh, it, it could it could be um, where you're better off. Um, yeah. So, uh, what other what other things do people need to think about um, as they're uh, trying to really, you know, move forward with one of these projects? Is, is there anything else that we didn't cover that we should have we should have mentioned and kind of need to be on the checklist of things to watch out for? In the technical side, I think we've covered
0: at least the major points. The rest is really about the, the executive sponsorship, for example, making sure that everyone in the team is aligned with where we're trying to go and really make sure that the outcomes are clear. Uh, you need to know your destination before you get into a car, otherwise you're going to be driving randomly. So knowing where the, where your destinations are and building in a way that allows you to offer uh, an MVP, a minimal viable product, let's say, as a first release. Just making sure people get comfortable using the tool before you build the the Cadillac version or the the fully enhanced, fully optimal version. Uh, Salesforce has another model called Crawl, Walk, Run, which basically means get, get the thing in their hands, get the feedback going, get the comfort higher, and then you start adding more and more features, more functionality, more automation, to get to that walk and then crawl phase, so I think that applies to any kind of technology as well. Is that you know, adopt slowly, keep on improving, keep on iterating to, to make these improvements. I don't think that the first version is going to be your last version, but make sure you know where you're going because otherwise, uh, <laughs> you're going to get lost.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned executive sponsorship, and I I would imagine that um, just because of you know. Who's in, who's in what generation and kind of generational comfort with technology and changes that, um, at least in my experience, it's been sometimes the people at the top of the organization who are the hardest to get to adopt uh, a new system. Um, what have you seen that's been helpful there?
0: Yeah, they, they have to first, the, so the executive sponsor has to be open to the idea, right? And they have to make sure that they're well informed, that they understand the benefits of it. Um, at a high level. So you know, going back to that architect consultant, that can be one person that can help uh, indicate and show the benefits. Um, having certain project champions or, or CRM champions can be another measure, where you have got people internally who have maybe have used a CRM before in another organization that can say, yeah, you know, be, rally the troops and get people excited about what's to come and what the possibilities can be would be another way to do it. Uh, and they can also whisper ears into the ear of the uh, executive sponsor. So just making sure that the, again, things are very tangible. It's very, things are very clear on where we're going, uh, how to get there. Um, Yeah, I would start from that. Awesome.
1: Awesome. So on each episode, I like to ask uh, uh, each guest, what permission slip uh, would you give to nonprofit leaders or what would you invite them to consider as they avoid being a martyr to the cause, which is my tagline for the, for the, um, for the podcast, uh, trying not to be a martyr to the cause and um, how they work, how they can work towards uh, cultivating a healthy or organizational culture. What would be your invitation or permission slip? I would say find balance. Uh, mm. It can't
0: be all work, no play. I know it's not very techie or very CRM, but it is from my perspective, <laughs> it, It's it's finding balance. It's as much as it is, it is a labor of love. There is a certain labor element to it. Uh, So being able to balance that with some kind of relaxation, some kind of calmingness, some kind of downtime, not feeling like the the challenge, especially when you have a CRM up and running is the ability to always uh, keep it up to date, to have this real time concept. So being able to acknowledge the fact that there are moments in your day that you just don't want to be accessible, where you don't want to talk to a CRM or think about a CRM and that's okay. Like you have to have some downtime to give yourself the energy to be better at when you're on your uptime. Absolutely. Absolutely. So where can
1: uh, people find you? How can they be in touch?
0: Yeah. So the main way to reach me is through my website. It's uh, dryadconsulting.com, D-R-Y-A-D, consulting.com. I I also have a newsletter for Salesforce consultants, and it's called thegoodenoughconsultant.com. And lastly, the podcast that I have, which is also related to nonprofits, it's called Agents of Nonprofit, and that is agents non, uh, agentsofnonprofit.com.
1: And it's a great podcast, so yeah, check it out. All right, well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Mission Impact. It's my pleasure, Carl. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Alex, his bio, the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show at the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. Mission Impact is brought to you by Gray Social Sector Consulting. Check out free resources at bitly forward slash grace goodies. I want to thank Isabel Strauss Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as Cindy Rivera Grazer of 100 Ninjas for her production support. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it on your favorite social media platform and tag us. We appreciate you helping us get the word out. And until next time, thank you for all you do to contribute and make an impact.